Welcome in to another edition of Region Roundup. I'm James Boyd here with Mike Clark. After our two-week layoff, I personally will have to apologize for that. Mike was ready. He was ready pretty much every day he asked. And then every day he asked, I was like, hey, Mike, I got a story. Hey, Mike, I got an uh, interview. Hey, Mike, I got something else. So that is my fault. I have to prioritize the podcast more. Um, I'll do that going forward in the future. You have my word. I'm not a liar. So we're here again, Mike. And, and how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Um, yeah, we got a ton of stuff to talk about this week. Um, as basketball, we're kind of putting the uh, putting basketball to bed, I guess, so to speak, uh, with the, the All Area and Player of the Year and Coach of the Year, and a lot of other stuff to talk about. Recruiting news, um, Coutts finishing second at state, but let's get into that for sure. Uh, Boys Basketball Player of the Year. Kamari Peterson, who winds up being on our cover two days in a row, actually, yeah. <laughs> uh, because uh, the day after he was named the Player of the Year, he uh, committed to Indiana State. And there's also some news for one of his teammates who is sticking around for a post-grad year, Krishan Christmas, who's going to Don Bosco Prep. Um, and that's something that... I don't even know that we have time to get into it today, but this is a massive issue across the entire country basically because uh with ncaa and naia and uh every other organization giving uh players that are currently there a free year um and then obviously we've had the uh d1 uh recruiting lockdown that's been going on forever and looks like it's going to go on for a while longer coaches can't get out to see players and players can't go on official on-campus visits so uh, a lot of uh, 2021s and 2022s are kind of caught in limbo here but uh, that's the news for Krishan but uh, Kamari um, a lot of candidates here um, and I know that you went through it pretty thoroughly and uh, carefully and uh, Kamari was your man yeah I think that uh, there's a lot of factors that people don't factor in um, when they're just looking at their team or their son or their daughter or whatever. But I think that there's a couple of things you have to look at. One, how talented is the player? Um, like you've like we already mentioned, he's going to Division One. He's a talented player individually. Team success. They were a shot away from going to state. Um, you know, they helped. Re- you know, he kind of led that rebuilding charge. Sure, he had a great teammate in General Washington, another great teammate in uh, Krishan Christmas and, and others. Um, but I think when it came down to it, in the biggest games of the year, um, Westside played a really tough schedule. Um, Kumari showed up. And then I was there at the semi-state game when he uh, was in foul trouble early and still winded up with a team high, tied for the game high, 16 points. Six of them in overtime where he just took over down the stretch where nothing else was really working. I mean, they had some big plays from other players. But Jalen Washington, in, in, in his own words, laid an egg. Um, and it got to the point where it was just like, give Kamari the ball and get out the way. And uh, it was kind of, that's. I mean, the coach told me, Coach Bugs told me, that in big moments they trusted Kamari to either make the pass or make the shot or whatever. And I think when you factor in team success, uh, individual abilities, um, you know, big moments, uh, you know, the competition level, who you played, where you played, I mean, they played a lot of indie area teams, um, and they only lost five games. One of them by double figures to Hammond. The other four were pretty, pretty close. So, 
all that being said, um, I, to me, it was a pretty easy pick. Um, again, it's not who you think will be better in the future. It's not who you think will be better down the line or, or who you think will be the better college prospect. None of that. It's it's this year and who was the best player, and I think it was him. And I'll, I'll throw one more thing on there. Uh, it's not a career award. So I know we've had some players over the last four years who've done some amazing things and just going through the all-area list myself, we have several players on here who have the all-time leading score at their school or in their county or whatever, but it, with all due respect, I don't care what you did last year or the year before that or the year before that. Um, this is this year's player of the year, and Kamari Peterson had the best year all around, in my opinion, of any player in the region, and that's why he was named our player of the year. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go through the first team. As well, the other uh, first teamers were his teammate, Jalen Washington, consensus five-star prospect, Indiana Junior All-Star. Um, and then we also had Christopher Mantis from Lowell, um, who's going to Appalachian State, one of the best scorers in the state. Um, we had Harold Woods from Hammond, who was um, also uh, you know, a, a really great player and, 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 and part of the best team in the region in, in Hammond. And they were number one in the state for quite some time. And then rounded out that group was Cole Wireman from Couts, who uh, some people might be like, ah, he's 1A or whatever, but he took his team to state. And also, they played a tougher schedule this year. They played some tougher teams. And I can't think of any games where he just didn't show up, you know? So he, uh, he, he was a fantastic player. He's well-respected. And one thing I'll, I'll say, I keep saying one thing, but I guess my really one last thing to say <laughs> is that um, I've seen all these guys play. Like, out of all the names on here, we only have 30 players who were selected. We're not, you know, going to have a all-area list with 50 players, 60 players. I think that kind of dilutes the purpose. Um, you want it to mean something. And so, out of the 30 players on this list, I want to say I've seen 29 of them play in person in front of my eyes. Um, so, and, and the other one, I think Britt Harris is the only one I didn't see uh, play from Marquette, I've talked to him, I've interviewed him, and I've seen, you know, some what he's done as far as stats go against other, you know, teams around the region. He was deserving of an honorable mention. So, um, yeah, not a perfect system at all. I have people that are upset at me, but, you know, uh, saying, you know, Karan Davis should have been a first-teamer. Well, it kind of depends on what you think matters the most. And, again, it's not me just picking the five best or most talented players. I do have to factor in what you did as far as team success, your strength of schedule, um, what you did in big moments and things like that. And, 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 and I think ultimately uh, I have a list that is debatable, if you want to call it that, but also very respectable and one that I can take serious. And again, um, you know, people love me, Mike, when I write about all their kids all year long. And then I come out with this list and, you know, they don't see their son or daughter's name on, on this, you know, on these two inches of paper. And all of a sudden I don't know what I'm talking about. So it was. Uh, I like it. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, I got have a few kind of a general all area thoughts. Um, first of all, um, I agree with you a hundred percent on this is a this year award, um, and one of the things that a lot of writers' papers get caught up in, you know, well, there are two things. Number one is, as you said, you know, the career award thing. You know, there are kids out there seniors who had tremendous four-year careers you know and i'm not going to name anybody because i don't want to leave anybody out but i mean there are kids out there like that and uh you know that's one thing then there's another 
thing and it didn't happen here but one of the other pitfalls that people run into also is like well i'm not going to name this junior because he or she'll have another chance next year well you don't know that you know i mean you could tear your acl you know and miss next year so i always had a problem with that as well but um and then thirdly i guess i would say is that you know we made a very uh deliberate decision uh, to limit the number of players that we pick. And uh, I think for the reason that you cited, it's the right decision. It needs to mean something to be all area. I mean, right. you know, there are other, in other times and, you know, it wasn't like that. <laughs> I will just say, you know, there was kind of an idea that everybody we cover should have at least one kid on the team. Well, you know, um, I don't agree with that. Um, and we cover, you know, what, 44, 45 high schools. Yeah. So so that would put it at that just if we had one kid from every school, let alone the fact that there are many schools that would, in that format, would, you know, would deserve two or even three people on the team. So right. then you get up into 65, 70. And what does it mean? You know, I mean, how, how much does it mean to be an all area selection in that context? Right. Um, and then I, I, I think yeah, that, you know, we have to factor in that there are certain things called like all conference. So, you know, if you don't get the nod for all area, you know, and you say, Oh, well, I should have did this. Like it's, I can't give it to everyone. It's all area. It's not all conference. And I'm sure a lot of people were recognized for the all conference awards and things like that. But again, I had to look at the totality of the season. It's not easy. I think people kind of take for granted, like, you know, you're, you're a lot of, like I said, a lot of coaches and, and parents and players, you're only seeing your your team. You know, I'm putting miles on the car, going to see everybody, you know, all week long. And oftentimes if there's like a tournament or something, I, I'd stay and watch the next, even if I didn't write about it, just to see, you know, the players. And I think, uh, you know, again, not a perfect system. I, I tell people all the time, I wish it was like the NBA or like the Big Ten or something, where you play the same level of competition, you play all the same opponents, and then you can go say, hey, okay, this is who's the best. And I think it's easier that way. But it's hard when you're looking at, you know, class one through four and, and strength of schedule. And then also this year having COVID interruptions and things like that, it's not easy to determine that. But um, that's that's the fun of it, too. I mean, that's, that's why you put the list together. And, again, 30 players. And I know, for example, we had Hammond. I had one from Hammond on the, the first team, two on the second team, one on the third team. Um, people might be like, oh, that's that's too much. But Hammond, uh, outside of Munster, I think there was like a two-point win. They gave it to every single region team, and they were number one in the state. And they also went 18-2 and two with their two losses being a one-point loss to the Class 4A runner-up and then an overtime loss to uh, you know a team in the regional final. So... Again, you can debate with me or be. I'm like, hey, if you if you want to be considered, you know, all area, play the best people. I think that's the easiest thing I'll say. Is like a message to coaches, teams, what? Play the best people. Like play the best. You know, absolutely, and, and absolutely. That. And uh, we should mention Hammonds, Larry Moore Jr., uh, repeat coach of the year, deservedly so. Um, we've talked to, on the pod before. I go back to covering Larry in high school along with his brothers. Um, actually as well and uh, his dad Larry Sr. 
coaching at San Francis de Sales um, in Chicago, now the retiring AD at Hammond High. Um, you know, what a what a tremendous story this was. You know, it's it's, it's the last year of Hammond High as we know it. Um, the new school is next door. It's going to be Hammond Central. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's a no-brainer that Larry gets that job. I mean, clearly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? when, I, when, I, when I interviewed him for the story, Mike, uh, it was funny, uh, you know, because you can't say, you know, officially or for certain he's the coach. But, um, you know, he, he kind of laughed it off when I asked if he'd be the coach. And, you know, that's the expectation. If he's not, I'm saying this now, you will see a scathing column from me. No, I'm joking. That, this, that, that won't happen. He's got to be the coach. Uh, but yeah, it was it was hard not to not to pick him. I mean, I was looking at other coaches who've had great years, and I mean, you had a team go to state, and then you had a you know a Bowman's coach, Tyron Robinson, go repeat as a sectional champion with basically only one starter returning. And but when you look at the totality of the season, Hammond was top dog in the region, one of the top dogs in the state, and they nearly won the regional without their starting you know four year point guard. So I mean, you factor all that in and. Uh, He's the coach of the year, second time. I think was, I was looking through our list. It might be the first time ever we had back-to-back coaches of the year. But, again, I can't see the future. Didn't know the season was going to be like this. I wouldn't go back and change anything about last year. So that is what it is. And I think people know, and he's widely respected as, as one of the better coaches in the state. So I'm um, excited for his future, and, and that kind of rounds out, like, my all-area boys. And then for girls, it was a little bit easier. I won't lie. Um <laughs> I don't think anybody could debate that Jessica Carruthers wasn't our player of the year, Mike. I mean, you saw the numbers. You've seen her the last few years, what she's done for the region. She's kind of entering that rarefied air as far as one of the greatest girls basketball players, just basketball players in general region history. So she was our player of the year on the girls' side. Our coach of the year was actually Tony Shube from uh, Andran. I know that uh, some people were upset about that, saying it should have been Chris Seibert from Crown Point. However, I'd like to point out, and no disrespect to Chris Seibert at all, um, and, and Mike, you know, we talk about this all the time, Crown Point was expected to be a state champion. They came into the year as, I, I believe, favorited to win state. So they did what they were supposed to do. Not saying I'm not taking anything away from it. I, I don't want to take it for granted. They're a great team. However, I don't think anybody expected Andrean to, one, go 18-2, and two, starts off 16-0, and 0, and then also go toe-to-toe with Crown Point and have a chance to win it. So, uh, and the one of the, the, I think the biggest reason beyond the Crown Point game is the reason why I gave Andrean's coach the nod is that unlike other schools in the region like Crown Point, where you were able to opt out of being, you know, of, of in-school learning. So, like, the, for example, the entire Crown Point girls basketball team didn't do, like, in-person learning. They, they did it all virtual. They just met up as a team and had practice. So they were able to basically stay away from potential contact tracing and things like that and Dran's students didn't have that option so they were all in class and more or less if a if a person tested positive in your class then you were contact tracing you couldn't play so they were constantly dealing with different lineups early in the year and still finding ways to win and beat you know good teams I mean their best player Julia Schultz um their all-time leading scorer she actually missed part of the season because she tested positive for COVID-19 and they were still winning so I think that you have to factor in like what it takes as a coach to be able to juggle so many lineups, so many different personnels, and be able to still win and, and, and play at a high level. And, and again, um, they played Crown Point better than any other team in the state except for Silver Creek, 
who uh, beat him in Silver Creek won the 3A title. So I think that that deserves credit. I mean, they held off Courtney Blankley at 55 against them. I mean, and they were doing things that hadn't been done in a while at that school. Um, kind of fizzled out in, in the regional. But, again, I thought he did a great job coaching. And I guess, guess I want to remind you that it's not an automatic, you know, if a team goes to state or wins state, that's the coach of the year. That's not always the case. I mean, yes, Cybert is a fantastic coach. He also had the most talented group of players in the region and in the state, arguably. So there you have it. Absolutely. Um, and that's a good point. Uh, and that's kind of what uh, people need to understand, too. Again, like we were saying, you know, before with the player of the year, it's who had the best year this year, you know, in terms of, you know, expectations from beginning to end. And, uh, you know, I've had this discussion here at the Times many times over the years where somebody would say, well, this coach, you know, went to the semi-state, nobody else got past the regional, so therefore they're automatically the coach of the year. No, 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 no. Doesn't work that way. I mean, we've picked coaches who didn't, who got to like the sectional championship game just because they had such a tremendous turnaround. I mean, they were, we, in football, we, you know, I made some strong arguments for coaches that, you know, were something like one and eight and turned around and, you know, had winning seasons or something like that, got to like the sectional championships. So I think that that's what you have to look at, you know, who did the best coaching job this year? It's not who's the best coach, it's who did the best coaching job this year, you know, and uh, I respect your choice, and uh, let's get on. Uh, the rest of the uh, all uh, first team, we should mention them too, as yes. we did for the boys. Um, so it's Jessica Carruthers, Lily Stoddard, um, her teammate, um, Trinity Thompson, um, Ryan Ott, she's going to Purdue for Wayne, Trinity Thompson's going to Northern Kentucky, and then uh, Courtney Blakely, the state's leading scorer, which segues into our next point. She is headed to Middle Tennessee State. Um, she committed uh, this past Friday. Um, I went to her house and uh, got a chance to meet her, her uh, not meet her family, I know her family actually pretty well, um, but I guess meet more of her family. Um, you know, they're basically saying like, oh, you know, I, I'm not surprised that you showed up. And I was like, you know what? I got to show up for Courtney because I've written about her so much. And, um, you know, it, it was it was, wasn't too far from the office anyways. It was a pretty quick uh uh, story. I mean, I've written about the girl so much, I could probably tell you uh, her stats off the top of my head, to be honest. Um, but she's, uh, I'm glad for her because one of the things I've, I've put in the story, I don't know if you read it, but those of you can check it out, she actually thought about quitting basketball last year. Like, legitimately quit, quitting basketball. And I was like, wait, what? Like, who tells you this on their on day they're committing? So I was like, wait, what do you mean, kick, like, quitting? Like, you were great last year, and you were, you know, a superstar this year. And she was like, yeah, but I wasn't getting any looks. Everyone kept telling me I was too short and I wasn't really getting any attention. And, you know, coaches would contact me, then it would fall out. And long story short, she's just relieved to have a chance to keep playing in college um, at a Division One program. Um, and I think that she's a good fit, fit, fit for that program. I believe they made the NCAA tournament this past year. Um, and I think that more than anything, Courtney was just one of those players, um, more than some others, that was hurt by not having that last year of AAU basketball, that exposure, things like that, because once the pandemic hit, she said her recruitment really slowed down. I think a lot of coaches were contemplating, this is speculation, but I guess, you know, you can take it with whatever uh, mindset you want. But I think that a lot of coaches, in my opinion, may have wanted to see like if it was a fluke, like what she was doing, the scoring and things like that. 
is it real? Like, can she really do it? And, you know, she was, I mean, she, she put up great numbers against pretty much every single team <laughs> she played. Um, and had two 50-point games, number 16 all-time leading scorer in girls' basketball history in Indiana. Um, the list goes on and on, you know, Indiana All-Star. So uh, she's headed to uh, Middle Tennessee State. going to have a great career there. Didn't get a chance to visit because of COVID, but I'm sure that um, she'll be just fine. She's one of those kids, Mike, like you don't worry about her as far as staying out of trouble, getting the grades, none of that. Like it just comes down to what she can do to hopefully get on the court as soon as possible. So she's going to Middle Tennessee and then, um, like you mentioned, uh, you know, it was a big weekend, Mike. You know, we had Kamari Peterson commit to Indiana State um, shortly thereafter, a couple days after on Sunday. I joked with him. I was like, man, you got to work on the Sunday. I don't do this, you know, for anybody. <laughs> and uh, he was joking with me. And I, and I and when I called him, Mike, and he answered, I said, you knew this call was coming. He just laughed. Um, he committed after the uh, Hoosier Basketball Magazine workout in Indianapolis. Um, and actually, Indiana State was the last school to offer him a scholarship. They offered him a scholarship almost you know, last week to this day. I think they offered him last Tuesday. Um, so he said that uh, they needed a point guard and, and trust that he can be that point guard for the future. So I'm happy for him as well. He's another one that kind of suffered from not having that AAU exposure. But, um, you know, I think uh, I think he's happy with his decision. And, again, free education, four-year university, Division One basketball. Um, one thing I like to just point out to people, whenever I do these commitment stories, there's always people that comment and say, well, how come they didn't go to IU? How come they didn't go to Purdue? How come they didn't go to Notre Dame? It's like, just be happy that they have a chance to play. I'm sure these kids weighed their options and, you know, whatever schools were available to them, they, they looked into them and then they chose their, their school. But please, you know, I'm sick of the, you know, Purdue, IU, YU. I'm like, every kid is not going to get an offer from those schools. And two, even if they do get an offer from those schools, not every kid is going to go there. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Um, let it go. I had some, I saw a comment the other day. People were complaining about, you know, there were comments on the Courtney Blakely story and saying like, well, she, you know, this could be a situation where, you know, Dana Evans was kind of overlooked in the same way. And look, well, look what happened to her. And I'm like, well, look what happened to her. She went to Louisville and had a great career. So, you know, people kind of lose sight of it's free education to do the sports that you love. So be happy about it. And, um, you know, make sure you just uplift these kids rather than tell them you know i'm happy for you but like no keep the butt just just be happy <laughs> and uh yeah so moving on uh the last game of the year was Couts playing in the state championship game uh keith Neust got to score the state championship game after 53 years of being Couts scorekeeper yeah um you know that was one of the cool stories um you know, there were a lot of cool stories, uh, and now the basketball season is over. Yeah. I mean, the one thing we're waiting on, at least I'm waiting on, is the Indiana All-Stars list for boys, that is. Um, I do think that Kwamari Peterson might have an outside chance to get on that team. We'll see. But uh, I'm excited just for that to come out. I'm excited for Mr. Basketball to come out. We don't have anybody from the region who was a finalist, but I just like to see who it is and things like that. But as far as me and, like, my – basketball games and things like that. I mean, I don't know if I'll be going to, like, the Indiana All-Star games or anything like that. However, the season is officially over. Um, Mike, I was a little sad leaving Banker's Life, which I'll tell you, it was a – okay, so the plan was for me to go cover the 1A game, knock out my stories and leave. But you know me, the basketball junkie. I was like, you know what, James? Like, you don't know the next time you're going to be here. So you might as well just stay. <laughs> so I was there for the, you know – 9 a.m. region time, 10 a.m. Eastern time game for Couts. 
did that game story. You know, Kevin Duzan called uh, Cole Weirman the best player ever at the school. It's debatable. You know, you got Ricky Highs and a few others that were great as well. But he said it, not me. And I did a story on that. And this story on Keith. Keith actually emailed me, uh, Mike. And it was after midnight one of these days. He uh, told me he liked the story and appreciated the, you know, the, uh, the words that I wrote about him and said he likes to stay behind the scenes but enjoyed, um, I guess, getting a little recognition uh, for what he does. So that was cool. And then um, I just stuck around. I mean, I finished up all my stories right when the 3A game was about to start. And then I was like, you know what? Like, I'm staying. So I stayed and, and I watched that game. It was close. Then I stayed for the 4A game. Um, which was also close, went to overtime. And then as I was watching that game, I was like, you know, snapping my head back and forth between the game right in front of me on the court at Bankers Life Fieldhouse and the TV right next to me that was showing the UCLA and Gonzaga game. So um, after the 4A game finished, Mike, I actually stayed even longer to watch the, the end of the Final Four game between UCLA and Gonzaga. And uh, I almost, uh, uh, you know, I had to make sure I kept my professionalism because I was ready to scream. When um, John Suggs hit that shot, but I think they were doing like Zoom interviews for like the post game. It was, it was funny. I think that one of the things that I, I was kind of thankful for is that I wasn't an indie area writer, Mike, so I didn't have to uh, choose between like listening to like the Zoom call from like the you know the coach that just won state or just finished as a runner up and watching the end of the the end of the, uh, the, end of the UCLA Gonzaga game because. I mean, it was funny. Uh, the reporters were like waiting for like the people to get on their Zoom calls, and they were like calling over like the banister where I was standing and said, "T, what's the score? Who's got the ball?" And, you know, so it, it was like that perfect mix of like being like a sports reporter, also a sports fan. So um, it was awesome. I feel like I, if I if I had a chance, Mike, I would have drove right down the street um, to Lucas Oil <laughs> to watch that game. It was great. It was a great weekend. Um, big shout out to Cal's. I loved covering them throughout the playoffs because I don't think any other school will have that type of feel, that type of vibe to it, just because it was truly a small-town Hoosier-esque run. I mean, all the stories I read. I mean, I wrote a story about one of their assistant coaches being a farmer. You know, <laughs> and his family, yes. you know, moving over, you know, years and years ago and buying land there and still living in the same house as his grandparents. And, you know, so it was, it was a fun time, um, and, and I enjoyed it, and I'm sure – uh, you know that I enjoyed it, and I think we all did. I mean, it was it was uh, one of those things where, like you said, Keith Noost, I think, was the biggest, one of the biggest pieces about this whole run is, like, everyone was happy for Keith. The players, the coaches, the fans, the administration, everyone was so happy for him because he's been there. Um, good, bad, ugly, you know, never missed a game 53 years. And um, like I said in my column, man, I think he has to figure it out. You do what you love for as long as you can, and you hope that you can continue to do it, and um, I'm excited to hopefully see uh, Keith again this spring for baseball and hopefully, you know, again, in, you know, next year for, for basketball because he's not riding off into the sunset. You know, he doesn't care if Cal's goes undefeated or, or, or winless. He will be there. And like he says, to watch them work their fannies off. So I hadn't heard the word yeah. fannies ever, I don't think, Mike. So uh, well, that, was, uh, that was it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing, too, because, uh, you know, that is the way it works, you know, for Keith. It's like, because he's already, you know, you've seen it uh, pop into your email. He's sending us baseball and softball boxes right yeah. now, too. It's like, you know, it's, he's not—he's not a bad wagon guy. <laughs> you no. know, he—he he is there, you know, from beginning to end, and uh, it's a wonderful story. Um, one more bit of uh, basketball news: uh, Lighthouse has a new coach. 
uh, is the guy who's been around Lighthouse for a while, I guess. Yes, Thomas Smith is returning to Lighthouse. That's where he actually started his head coaching career. He's uh, been the Lighthouse girls coach, boys coach. He was also the girls coach at Bowman. Helped out on the boys' side as well at Bowman. Um, he's a Horace Mann grad, 1992. Um, you know, lo- loves Gary. He's a firefighter for the city. Um, told me he doesn't want to ever leave the city. And he's excited. I, I believe Lighthouse is returning all, if not maybe like maybe one player graduate. I believe they're returning their entire team for next year. So he's excited about the opportunity. Um, we all know what happened with Nick Moore being fired after throwing a chair. And then Kendall Nichols stepped in as the interim coach for the last four games of the season and things like that. So Lighthouse has been a little uh, bit of a whirlwind the last few years. But, you know, Smith is hoping to be like that coach for now and the future so they have some stability going forward. I'll have more on that in a story um, later today. Um, stay tuned for that. And then um, we'll also move on to Illinois. I know, Mike, you've had some uh, – one, you've written some, some really nice pieces, by the way. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of yours. Um, but, yeah, uh, how much fun has it been to just just be, I guess, more in a rhythm now with multiple teams playing? You know, I know you're always heading to games and – Illinois actually plays on like a different type of schedule than Indiana. So there's, you know, different days for games and competition as opposed to Indiana, which is really, I guess, a little more rigid, I would say, for, for their scheduling. Right. So we're in football season now. Um, uh, this is we're starting week five out of a six week season. No playoffs last week. Um, one of our three teams TF North was uh, in a COVID pause, and it was kind of a crazy story because it was not anything uh, to do with TF North, but the week before that, uh, a week ago last Friday, they played Lamont, and they found out the next day that one of the officials who worked that game tested positive the next day. So TF North and Lamont went into quarantine, um, again, not through anything that they did, so they missed the, the game last week, um, and actually, I guess, thinking about the fact that we haven't talked about this for two weeks now, uh, because we didn't have a pod last week, but uh, I got a chance to see Marion Catholic a week ago last Thursday um, play at DePaul Prep, which is uh, up in the city, brand new football stadium, actually the first game they've ever played in that stadium, which was kind of cool, but uh, Marion Catholic... Uh, I think we talked about this, uh, just, you know, a whirlwind. You know, we talked about a whirlwind for Lighthouse. It's been a whirlwind for Marion Catholic. Justin Young, um, who was a player who had been in the program, he was not on the team this year, but he's still a senior at the school, uh, died in a car crash two days before their season opener. Uh, the players had an option of not to play. Uh, basically, the, the school asked him, do you want to play this game or not? And the players said, we do want to play. Uh, yeah. Tajim Lawson, who is their best player, is a running back who is going to be a preferred walk-on of Northern Illinois. Uh, talked to me a little bit about uh, playing for Justin after uh, the DePaul prep game. Marion Catholic won that game. It was their first one of the season. A very emotional night. Very cold night also. It was That was... Two weeks ago, I don't know if anyone recalls, but that Thursday night we got down to like 25 degrees. So it was like, you know, we were all kind of hoping, you know, playing football in the spring, the weather wouldn't be quite like that, but there you go. Um, and then last week I saw TF South uh, move to 3-1, and one, um, you know, and uh, 
this week we have the biggest game on the Illinois side, um, you know, pretty much in any sport. It's TF South, TF North. They call it the Battle of Burnham as opposed to the Battle of Broadway for Andrean and Merrillville. But, uh, yeah, two schools separated by about three miles on uh, Burnham Avenue. And uh, that'll be a fun one, too. It'll be Saturday afternoon, actually. TF North uh, got an extra day to prepare because they're actually not back in practice out of the quarantine until tomorrow, uh, which would be Tuesday as we're speaking right now. Um, and also, uh, covering a little bit of basketball, uh, myself, well, actually not a game, but South Suburban College uh, over in South Holland um, was uh, playing in the regional tournament. Uh, they're NJCAA Division Two. Uh, won the regional um Chandra Washington had kind of an interesting story and you know we're my gosh we're we're pretty deep into this podcast and I'll try to keep it kind of short but he's he had a, an interesting story so he played at Morgan Park with uh, Io Dusumu and uh, Adam Miller um, who any basketball fan is pretty much aware of Io was won the award for the best point guard in the country the Kuzi award um, he's going to the NBA Adam Miller uh, had started every game for Illinois as a freshman. He's actually gone into the transfer portal. But those two uh, players plus Deshondre uh, won a state title in uh, Illinois at Morgan Park. Um, Deshondre then went to play D1 basketball at Robert Morris, which is in Pittsburgh, um, but didn't quite work out. Um, he had some family tragedy too. His uncles passed away. His little sister, who was four years old, passed away, and he just felt like he really needed to not be away from his family at that point. So he came back, played one game uh, for Robert Morris, uh, got a hardship um, exemption, uh, came to South Suburban, and he's the best Division Two JUCO player in the country. He's leading the country in scoring, leading the country in rebounds. Uh, top five in assists and I'm sorry, top five in blocks and steals and top 25 in assists. So obviously a pretty well rounded game. Uh, just, uh, he's, he's an intriguing prospect because he's six, seven. So he's super long, super fast. Um, you know, I don't know where he projects as a, you know, when he goes back to D1, because he will go back to D1. Um, you know, I guess, you know, when you're 6'7", and you've got those kind of shooting skills, you know, maybe you're a big three, uh, I guess, probably. Um, you know, or maybe an average size three, I suppose, at 6'7". But uh, they're going to Nationals um, next week now. Um, they qualified for Nationals last year. Uh, wasn't played because of COVID, but uh, kind of a cool story there. Um and uh, one more story I'm going to pitch. Uh, it's actually going to be in tomorrow's paper. Again, we're recording this on Monday, so it'll be in Tuesday's paper. Bill Brick, who uh, a lot of the uh, baseball folks around the region are familiar with. Um, he was a guy who grew up in South Chicago um, and wound up, he lived in Dalton for a while. He was an all-state pitcher at Thornridge, but uh, he's best known for uh, being a scout uh, for three different MLB teams, the Pirates, the Padres, and the D-backs. 
Uh, he passed away at 70 uh, last week, and at the time of his uh, death, he was still working as a special assistant to the general manager, the D-backs, one of the most respected scouts in the country. Um, and uh, I talked to his cousin, um, who was his best friend growing up, which is kind of a cool story, too. But, you know, uh, and this is kind of, uh, you know, I was, I was kind of doing some research and looking back through our files a little bit, too. One of the cool things is that even as he was, you know, like traveling the country as a scout, um, he was also doing a ton of camps and clinics around here. And we have a lot of photos in our archives of him showing kids how to, you know, how to grip a curveball or how to hit or something like that. So I thought that was kind of cool that, you know, he never he didn't really forget about, you know, the kids in his backyard, you know, as well as uh, all of these major leaguers that he wound up scouting and, uh, you know, and developing. So um, and you also have uh, an opit um, that you uh, were able to prepare as well for another person who had been really a part of the region sports scene for a long time. Yeah, Luann uh, Hobson, the longtime Chesterton softball coach, um, who helped actually help start the program um, over 30 years ago. She passed um, over the weekend. Um, I spoke to their, uh, you know, former Chesterton AD, one of her former, former players who became a coach. Um, and I'll have more on that as well. Hoping to talk to a few more people today. Um, before I follow that story, but um, what I understand, she was like the, like the hard-nosed, fiery coach who didn't take anything from anybody. Um, and I kind of like hearing the stories from uh, the people I spoke to uh, about how she was just no nonsense, um, kind of like the tough love type of type of coach. And um, from what I understand, a lot of people appreciated what she did only for Chesterton, but for um, girls and women's sports. Um, and personally, I think it should be called women's sports, honestly, at this point. But women's sports um, in Indiana, as far as, far as just pushing um, for more opportunities for women in high school sports in Indiana. So I'll have more on that. Um, I'll rely on the people who knew her to uh, talk about her, frankly. I mean, I'm only 25. I did not have a chance to meet Coach Hobson. Um, so I'll let those who knew her, met her, loved her, basically drive that story. Um, so, yeah, that basically wraps up. For this week went a little longer. I'm sorry. Like I said, I was uh, I was in a very unique place the last few weeks trying to get a bunch of stuff done. Um, but I appreciate it. I appreciate all the support as always. I'm sure Mike does as well. Make sure you just subscribe to our paper. Continue to support local journalism. Um, continue to wear your mask and mask up and get your shots as well. Um, I believe Mike, did you get your first shot or are you? Scheduled? I did indeed. There we last go. Wednesday, last Wednesday, and uh, let me give a plug to the FEMA site at the Merrillville Community Center, 6600 Broadway in Merrillville. Uh, super efficient. I was in and out uh, before my actual appointment time. I got there a little bit early because I wasn't sure, you know, what the protocol was. But, you know, they register you. They give you the little card that we've seen, you know, in every Twitter and Facegram, Twitter and Instagram <laughs> and Facebook post. There, there you go. Uh, but, yeah, and uh, went in, you know, got the shot that you sit for 15 minutes for those of you who haven't had it you sit for 15 minutes they make sure that there's no immediate side effects they let you go um i did not have any i had a little bit of arm soreness nothing serious um i slept for nine and a half hours that night which was awesome and uh (laughs) 
you know, so yeah, we're I'm a little bit more than you know, two weeks away from my second shot. Can't wait. Um, you know, folks, uh, please, please consider getting vaccinated. Please keep wearing the mask. Please keep social distancing. You know, we've seen some upticks in some certain areas. Uh, we don't want to go backwards. And, you know, we want to have a full spring season, which we did not get last year. We want to roll right into uh, the summer, you know, with camps and AAU and oilmen and rail cats and then get back to football in, in the fall. So let's do all the things that we need to do to make that happen. And, uh, and I think that's all I have. So we will talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for supporting local journalism.